Hey everybody, this is Rob Liefeld. Welcome to another edition of Observations. What is a Observation? It is an observation from me, Rob, on comic books and pop culture and everything in between. Like, for instance, this weekend, The Suicide Squad. It opened, I saw it, I loved it. You will too. King Shark, Harley Quinn, James Gunn. It's fantastic. Again, where did it come from? It came from comic books. It came from comic books that you don't get that movie. There is imagery in there that James Gunn specifically in an homage, uh, passion, uh, you know, gave to you, the audience, from um, different illustrations of Starro, the Conqueror, the, the giant starfish kaiju in the movie, that there's a famous, famous Brian Boland, this brilliant British illustrator, stunning uh, shot that he did of the Justice League comic book that... Uh, that James Gunn completely, 100% uh, liberally, and with great love, not, he wasn't stealing it, great love, great compassion, shared it with you and the mass audience who'd never seen it before. And if you now showed them that comic book, that image of Starro and all the people with the, 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 the fish on their face, they would absolutely flip out. Because again, it is, it is sourced from the comics and I have just, my head is still spinning from everything. I mean, I saw Peacemaker, I saw... Peacemaker as as uh, 100% faithful to to a, a kind of out-of-the-box design because Peacemaker always looked different in the same way that John Cena looks different as Peacemaker. I, I have I watched Peacemaker in the flesh and blood in a way that I never thought possible because James Gunn made it so. It's it's incredible. So there, there is a capsule observation. I hope you guys go see the Suicide Squad. It's a lot of fun. It's um, I love the R rating. I love the liberty that it gives the filmmaker. In this case, again, Mr. Gunn to um, just have more fun with the gore, the violence. Um, not not a whole lot of sex, but you know, the, he, he utilized the R rating in the exact manner that he could, and he should, and he did, and it was great. And and it's just a, a fantastic time to be um, observing comic books as they take over the culture. And then this this upcoming weekend, what if the series, you know, I, I did a whole podcast on what if and how it's the play, the secret playbook of the Marvel handbook. And you should listen to that, that podcast. And, um, and there is uh, an absolute, there's an absolute, uh, uh, y- you know, um, thread, a, 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 a straight thread through everything that Marvel has been doing in the comic books, in the comic book realm, and then adapting those changes into the film, streaming, whatever you want to call it. And it starts from the What If series that they launched in 1976. I did an entire podcast on that. But, but a What If animated series is coming out on Disney+. Plus. So it's never a dull moment. The comic books are always present, but today we are taking a giant shift. We are moving away a little bit from our comic book feuds because, boy, those were hot and heavy, and um, I hope you enjoyed them. It is the fruit of the feud, not the fuel that I try and focus on. But sometimes telling the story is half the battle, and I and I do hope that you guys had a good time uh listening to those feuds. We'll be back with a new feud series. Um, I just want to pivot today. And if you've, you, if you're listening to this, you already know this is called the Bible goes underground. What is that about? What is that about? So we're going to, we're going to start back at the beginning, um, which is appropriate since this is a podcast about the Bible in the beginning. Okay. So we're straight up ripping that right out of Genesis. Okay. I am a pastor's kid. If you did not know that I was raised in a Baptist minister's home. Paul Liefeld was a Baptist minister. He was a fantastic uh, man. He believed in the love uh, that the Bible uh, uh, preaches. And and, and in my household, I can just tell you, he raised us with love. He didn't raise us with judgment and consequences. And uh, all uh, you can judge a man's life by by the way his um, funeral is attended. And in my dad's case, I was so shattered when he finally lost his umpteenth battle to cancer that uh, I didn't share it with a lot of people. It was, you know, I I was just, uh, it was my big boy adult moment. Uh, My dad passed. He got, uh, uh, he he pulled his catheter out. He actually was was moved to down to Orange County after an entire summer of of being up at UCLA and really fighting to get better. But uh, 
he really, the, the extra bleeding that that caused just with the weak condition he was in, he passed and it was shocking for me and I was very upset and that, I, I knew that I had to be a man. I was I was uh, 31 years old and I, I took care of things for my mom who uh, was obviously more shattered than I could possibly be. So it was the first time, you, you know you're a man when you are driving to the funeral home and you are making those decisions. You are picking the casket, the style of casket. You are um, going and picking out the plot for your father all so that your mom could, doesn't have to worry about any of this stuff. And, that, and, and my wife was alongside of me the entire time. My, my sister was with my mom. And so I remember this very clearly and I didn't really tell a lot of people about the funeral. And you wait in the side room and you enter, you know, it's your dad's funeral and you're overwhelmed. And I was, I did not um, do well that day. I spoke very little. I was not able to speak at his funeral. Um, I was pretty much a big, uh, a mess. I love my dad. He meant the world to me. He inspired me. And uh, I entered that room and I was shocked standing room only in, in, in a very well uh, trafficked, um, uh, used, popular uh, community, you know, funeral home in downtown Fullerton, um, out into the lobby. Uh, the love for my dad was uh, overwhelming. It still overwhelms me. I had friends from high school, but more importantly, lives my dad touched his whole life. He, he was in ministry to help and love people, not to judge them and not to condemn them. And that, that's really what, what he brought into my family via his role as a Baptist minister. My dad loved everybody and we didn't see color and race in, in when I was coming up in the 70s. We just loved people. And he was, uh, he definitely loved my mom, loved my, my sister and myself. And uh, so that's the, the, the Baptist minister that I knew. But the flip, that, that, that's his heart. I spoke to you, his heart was, duties were different. And now you're in a little griping from me on the duty end. And, and, and here's the deal. I have met so many of you over my 30, almost 35-year career in this business. And I have met so many of you, and so many of you are churched, or you are from the church, or were churched, or had a church background, whatever. Uh, Presbyterian, Lutheran, Baptist, whatever, Catholic. Um, you guys all can relate. So many of you have shared me. I've shared some of my stories of faith, uh, but but uh, you know, you guys have all shared stories with me along the way at every state, every juncture I've ever been to. And so, as a Baptist minister, our church, because my my grandfather was actually the senior pastor, and that's not my dad's dad. That's my mom's dad. My father left uh, Chicago and, and, and then Michigan to travel out to Orange County with my grandfather, and they built this church up from nothing. It was an orange grove. They bought an orange grove, and they built it into a school and into a church. But part of the duties of the church, and here's where we're going to get into the griping. This is, like a, this is like the Seinfeld episode with the airing of the grievances. All right, this is, I'm touching the pole. This is my time. I get to do the airing of the grievances. The airing of the grievances in this condition, in this way, is going to come out in this manner. And, and it is going to take the shape of, I can't believe how much we went to church. That schedule was brutal. I was in the car with my dad early on Sunday mornings to go with him because I like to just traverse the campus. But if not, I would have left an hour later. But my mom always uh, needed a little more time, you know, as they say, to put on her face, to put on her face, to become the, the pretty, um, the pretty patty. And, uh, and so, so um, my, my mother would come a little later and I would always go early with my dad. My sister would come with my mom or drive herself. But in the early days, six, seven years old, I would travel with my dad in the early morning. And you know, it really kind of stayed that way through junior high until I could drive myself. But that also meant no matter what, um, we had to stay later after church because my dad would then uh, deal with people people in the community, uh, uh, members of the church who wanted to talk about different issues or, or, or you know, whatever they were going through. That's, that's why you have those, those, those people standing by down at the bottom, you know, uh, in front of the stage after every uh, service. And uh, my dad ran a class called the fellowship class. It was for people in their late 30s, early 40s. It was a class that mimicked my parents' own age. And everybody in that class, I knew so many of them because so many of their kids were my friends. And I'm talking about Paul and Nathan, and I'm talking about Ron, and I'm talking about Kenneth. Uh, I'm talking about Matthew. Uh, I, so many, and, and Kathy and, and Lisa and uh, 
and Ann, so so many, um, and Greg, just everybody. I knew a lot of kids my age, their parents were all in the fellowship class, which was before big church, right? And I went to a Sunday school before big church, but we would go home, get home, maybe, you know, leave the church a half hour later than everybody else. I mean, you're not peeling out of there, you know, you're not burning rubber out of that parking lot when you're, you're, you know, you're the pastor. And, uh, so my dad shared chores with my grandfather again, who was the senior pastor, but, uh, we would generally go to a restaurant, uh, you know, there, there, there was all different sorts of restaurants we went to. And then we'd eventually crash home about two o'clock in the afternoon, maybe watch some football, watch some cartoons, watch some weekend movies. But then, whoa, hello, back in the car, back to church at 530. How many of you guys had Sunday evening church? What an impossible drag. The airing of grievances will now ramp up a little because the evening church involved missing crucial episodes of the six million dollar main when your favorite show of all space and time is on Sunday nights and look listeners friends neighbors there was no VCR not in 1975 76 77 78 maybe those VCRs started knocking on our doors 82 83 okay but in the 70s you weren't recording anything and there sure weren't some DVRs none of that technical stuff none of that technical none of those like technological breakthroughs that didn't happen until the 2000s, okay? With TiVo and then DVRs, okay? You didn't, if you didn't see it live, you didn't see it. I didn't know anybody, nobody, even the most upscale, swanky friends of ours who had the big houses on the big hills in Orange County, they didn't have a means to tape stuff, not until the, 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 the calendar would go into the 80s. Well, church would always start at 6 and that whole we don't go home, you know, until after after everybody's needs are met. Yep, that applied to Sunday nights too. So I generally got home on average at either 8.25 or 8.35, which gave me 35 minutes or 25 minutes left of any $6 million man episode. And that was like everything to me in life. And for those of you who are old guys like me, and if, you, if you're not, I'll, I'll give you an example. There was a really popular magazine. Everybody had it. It was called TV Guide. The TV Guide, it had cool painted covers, photo covers. It also had great single-page ads. And so many of the ads of that era, they would the action shows got the cool ads. The $6 million man, and later we're going to get to the Bionic Woman because that continues to crush my soul and break my heart. Um, oh, my love for Jamie Summers was, was severe. So the ads in the TV Guide, like especially, you guys, the Bigfoot ad, the Bigfoot episodes, on Six Million Dollar Man were the best episodes ever, or the Fembots, or any time he was battling another cybernetic robotic nemesis, okay? So uh, those were my absolute favorite tops of all time, period, end of discussion. And uh, there was uh, the uh, the thing is that, that uh, we uh, wouldn't get home in time for me to see whatever episode was matching that brilliant ad. I, I, I did not match the brilliant ad, okay? And, uh, and and I would see maybe the last, the resolve of the episode. If I was lucky, I got a couple of action scenes, maybe one big action finale, but if not, whatever. Another opportunity missed. It's it's amazing I didn't, my, 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 you know, I didn't grow to resent the church. It was just the way I had to negotiate. Now, we're going to come back to Sunday nights in a minute because it gets even harder for me as, as the years go a little further. But, but, Bionic Woman launches directly out of the $6 million man, only furthering my addiction. And for those historians among you, the Bionic Woman was a bigger show than $6 million man. Why wouldn't it be? I mean, come on, Lindsay Wagner was effervescent. She was beautiful. That great smile. Who doesn't want to watch a bionic woman over a, a bionic man? Well, I actually preferred Lee Majors and the $6 million man, but audiences love bionic woman. They tied them both together all the time. You guys, if you've known this, you've I've talked to you about the documentary that I've listened to on my box set of all five seasons, plus all the movies of $6 million man, where the man who played Oscar Goldman, Richard Anderson, not Richard Dean Anderson, that's MacGyver, Richard Anderson, who played Oscar, Oscar Goldman, Steve, Steve, you've got to get out of there, Steve, Steve, Sasquatch, Steve, the, the alien technology, okay, loved Oscar Goldman, but he would say, in his, in his documentary, and I'm going to go back to it now, and some of you, you're already saying it, because you know, because you know, 
you already know. Um, the deal is that he would look, he, he looks into that, um, he looked into that beautiful screen in that documentary and he said, we were a macho show. We were a macho show. And I have used macho show, as so many of you know, to describe the comic books that me and my compatriots, is that an okay word? I think it's an okay word. I don't think that's a bad word. Me and my comrades, is that, oh gosh. Now it sounds like we're Russian. Me and my comrades, we would use macho show to bring you best art ever. Best art of ever. Okay, so we were, um, I was very influenced by the Six Million Dollar Man and the Bionic Woman. And as Oscar Goldman himself, Richard Anderson said, we, we, we were a macho, Steve, Steve, we, we're a macho show. That majors, he, in the documentary, in the interviews, he doesn't call him Lee. He calls him majors, majors, majors. We'll take his shirt off. I mean, he, he loved to do scenes with his shirt off. Macho show. Okay. It, it affected me. It had a profound effect on me. But Bionic Woman was on Wednesday night. Now, here's where the difficult question comes in. Ah! Did you, did you go to church on Wednesday nights? Because I did. Wednesday freaking night church. I'm not talking like youth group. I'm talking like... The, the church is open, you know, here's the people and here's the steeple. Um, you know, I mean, the, 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 there's the church you attended Wednesday night. What am I doing here? How fast can I get home? Because here we go again. We burn rubber as fast as we can once all the needs of the people have been met and we are back at home for me to see Sasquatch hug Jamie Summers and uh, Six Million Dollar Man bid him adieu when he gets his flying saucer and flies away. True story started um, heating up my uh, my 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 thermometer uh, to 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 act like I was sick and tell my parents I got a fever I can stay home though right and okay Robbie you you're too sick to go out whoa no that's that's a trick you can only use a couple times but if you do it on Sunday you can stretch it to Wednesday. Okay, you can even get to stay home from school. All in the name of the fembots and 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 my fembots are more powerful than your bionics. Um, oh, the fembot three-parter that that I think it kicked off like the third and the the, the second and the in the third season of Six Million Dollar Man with the fembots. My son actually watched these episodes with me a couple years ago. My my son Luke Liefeld. He's like, Dad, I love this. This show's awesome. He's like, the Fimbots. The Fimbots. Oscar Goldman has underestimated my Fimbots. All right, this was great stuff. So enough of this. Why? Okay, so so Wednesday night church is cramping my style. Sunday night church is cramping my style. This is the airings of the grievances. And then when your favorite show of all space and time comes out and you're a child of the Star Wars era... And Channel 7 ABC Network is announcing that they are doing an epic show called Battlestar Galactica. Okay, Battlestar Galactica. Three-hour premiere. Thank God. I got to see like the last 90 minutes. Thank you for the three-hour premiere at least on the West Coast, because they got interrupted on the East Coast because there was some like peace agreement signed. But on the West Coast, woohoo! I caught the rest of that. But same thing. By now, Battlestar Galactica is in the $6 million slot in 1978. And uh, I'm missing large chunks of this. So so my BSG and my $6 million man and my, uh, my, my uh, bionic woman addictions were all completely up against the churching of Rob Liefeld because his dad... The lovely Paul Liefeld was a dutiful and loving and caring Baptist minister. But that is the churchy part of me. So at our church, we had a, a, a Bible bookstore where you could buy, you know, Bible comics and some crazy, crazy Bible tracts and comic books. And we're going to do an entire episode on those eventually because they are ridiculously, you, you're selling these like R-rated just crazy, scary, and violent like Bible tracks to shock you into believing in 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 the, in, in the Lord and in Jesus. And, and they were selling them to, to six year olds, seven year olds. Hey, mommy, let me have this really gruesome track and and uh, and, and these different Christian comics. And that's a whole other different kind of realm I want to get into at some point. But they had this is how I came to know of the Picture Bible. That's what they call it now. If you order it, it's called the, the Picture Bible. But I saw it. 
And I'm already now well-versed in the comic, the Marvel comic book, the John Buscema, the Jack Kirby, the John Byrne, the George Perez, Rich Buckler, Jim Starlin, everybody. I'm into it. So check this out. This picture Bible looks like it was drawn by freaking John Buscema. The artist is André Leblanc, and it is exquisitely drawn. He has such a command of form, faces, uh, clothes, texture, weaponry, imagery. He is a spectacular storyteller. The picture Bible, I believe, is what they call it, and you can grab it. But just look for the picture Bible with André Leblanc. And, and, and when they came out, they came out in different like chapters, Judges, Book of Kings. They came out in small, uh, in the same way that, that the digest size that Marvel and DC were doing. These came out in digest size, and they were black and white. Eventually, they would collect it. They would collect it all together in a hardcover and a giant softcover, and they would call it the Picture Bible, and they would color all these. But when I first encountered all of this, remember this. This this is uh, in black and white. It's so funny because in an original art group, a very well trafficked, very popular original art group that I'm on on Facebook, recently spoke of. Uh, recently spoke of this artwork and showed pages and said, "Does anyone has anyone ever bought original art from this? I would love to buy this. This Andre LeBlanc, his art was magnificent. He draws the whole thing, and uh, from 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 Genesis all the way to the Book of Revelations, and 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 he is just spectacular in in his in his illustrations. The, some of the most beautiful faces, um, figures, uh, garments, uh, you know." Uh, the, the the clothing, the, uh, the the tapestries. I mean, uh, just horses, animals, all of it. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. And so I was, but it's it's, it's a little glossy. It it very much makes you know the heroes and the villains of the Bible. And uh, this this dovetails on a a giant coffee table Bible book that my my aunt and uncle gave me when I was in their wedding in like 1976. They gave me this giant coffee table book and it had painted illustrations. It wasn't a comic book. It was prose and it was the whole Bible, but there was this double page spread of Samson with the jawbone of an ass as it's described in the Bible, whacking on all of these Philistines coming up the hill after him. I, in my mind, it was like Frank Frazetta level painted illustrations. It was so dynamic and beautiful and him collapsing the temple. Samson was my guy. David was my guy. Gideon was my guy. I had like my favorites. They were more like the biblical superheroes. Well, we're not talking, we're not, we're not going to talk about any of that today. We are talking about the underground Bible, the Bible that I call that went underground. And, and the reason is it was done by the king of underground comics named Robert Crumb. You do not hear me name, mention Robert C Crumb's name enough. Um, that is that, that that is going to change today. Robert Crumb, also referred to as R. Period Crumb, R. Crumb. Okay, let's backtrack a little. Once again, my sister, I, we are seven years apart. I'm seven, she's fourteen. I'm eight, you know, she's fifteen. Okay, it's easy math. So my sister, one day, I've just I'm really early on again this, in my Marvel and DC comics collecting and 1970s comics. That's all my it's my thing. You know, 1975, 1976, she one day brings home this bright yellow hardcover coffee table book. Not the thickest, but it was big. It was oversized. And it was called Comics and Comics. But the first comics is with an X. C-O-M-I-X. Comics and Comics. And, uh, well, I she had been working at the dinner table and transcribing notes. And I saw that there was pictures in it and it covered the history of comics. She was doing something on comics, but she was really focusing on underground comics for this term paper that she was doing. And I'm like, wow, comic books. And it had old, you know, uh, Captain America from Simon and Kirby and some modern DC and some modern Marvel, but nowhere near as much uh, material was poured into this thing than was the underground comics. And look, if I'm seven or I'm eight, seeing drawings of dudes and their penises and people having sex, that's uh, it's going to get giggles. It's going to make you laugh. It's going to tickle you. All of you young men who in, in, in encounter this, you, you, you know what I'm talking about, okay? Because Robert Crumb, let me, let me, I actually have a copy of Comics and Comics, okay? The, the History of Comic Book Art. 
and that my sister had. And I will read to you. The late 1960s saw the emergence of underground comics, a new wave of humorous, hippie-inspired, their words, not mine, hippie-inspired comic books that were as politically radical as they were artistically innovative. As the name suggests, they had nothing to do with the mainstream. In fact, in many ways, they were antithetical to it. Instead of pandering to a kid's market, these titles spoke to the counterculture on its own terms, which meant dealing with subjects like drugs, anti-Vietnam protests, rock music, and above all, sex. For this reason, the new comics became known as Comics with an X. Ha ha! Now I knew why the title was Comics, C-O-M-I-X, and Comics, C-O-M-I-C-S. And to emphasize the X for X-rated, and boy, were they. You know, I, I, I'm watching blowjobs in comic book form in this book by my buddy R. Crumb, and I am delighted. And I don't know where my mom and dad are, but I'm on the couch giggling like crazy. I even kind of bring it to my room to look at more, let's be honest, dirty pictures. These are dirty pictures. Little Robbie Liefeld, just like any other seven or eight-year-old, is into the dirty pictures. And R. Crumb, I could tell this guy, you know, he's talented. So the underground comic movement was basically an American phenomenon, then imitated in Britain. It originated from a variety of sources, which can be traced to the 1950s. First, and perhaps most importantly, there was the influence of Mad, the Mad comic book tradition. Harvey Kurtzman had liberated comedy and comics with his seminal title, along with its more innovative and inventive imitators. It was meant to inspire a generation of cartoonists to push back boundaries of satire even further. Most, more directly in his post-MAD magazine, Help! Kurtzman directly, directly, uh, Kurtzman provided pages devoted to amateur talent where many future underground artists got their break, okay? So the underground movie scene, the underground comic book scene, comics, C-O-M-I-X, burst onto the scene. Little Robbie Liefeld has a book detailing the history of these in 1976, and he is giggling because he is looking at porn. There is pornography in this book, and uh, much of it from my good friend R. Crumb. Uh, the, uh, and there was cursing. It was cool. I'm like, wow, I'm definitely not reading these Marvel or DC comics. But uh, see, I got... I. I Man, my mind was blown at such a young age. Thank you, Sherry Liefeld, for doing your your term paper. So, uh, you know, um, the the cr one creator in particular became synonymous with the San Francisco comics, C-O-M-I-X, boom, and later with the underground as a whole. That would be Robert Crumb. Crumb moved to the city in 1967 and immediately started to produce strips for the alternate newspapers. His previous experience included a stint working under Harvey Kurtzman on Help! Exclamation point. In 1968, his first solo comic appeared, the seminal Zap. This was to be the title that started the entire comics ball rolling. Why Zap became so important is, to, is, is too difficult not to explain. The artwork was tremendous, mixed with influences from Basil Wolverton, Basil Wolverton, Disney, and the Bigfoot style of American newspaper strips to generate an old fashioned, almost sweet effect. This was in total contrast to the content of the strips, which included LSD-fueled fantasies, libertarian politics, and sex. Plenty of sex, it says here. Lots of sex. As if to underline the fact that this was no kid's comic, the code seal of approval was parodied on the cover. Robert Crumb published Zap with a friend at first selling issues out of a pram on street corners in Ashbury. However, such was its popularity that it wasn't long before the professional hippie publishers took over the print mint, and quite unexpectedly, it opened up the market, proving that there was room for alternative comics as well as newspapers within hippiedom. Zap sales, as well as its revolutionary style, became a rallying cry for an entire scene. Um, some of the titles of these popular books, which Crumb himself contributed to Despair, Big Ass Comics, R. Crumbs Comics and Stories, Motor City Comics, Hype Tone Comics, Jazz and, Jizz and Snatch. You haven't lived until you've held a comic book named Jizz and Snatch in your hands. All right, so um, in regards to Robert Crumb, Crumb later justified his typically controversial content saying, when people say what are underground comics, I tend to 
best define them as absolute freedom of the art form. I think that's really important. People forget what it was all about. That's why we did it. We didn't have anybody standing over saying, no, you can't draw this or you can't show that. We could do whatever we wanted. This strip I'm watching right now, again, I'm a guy, giant close-up of this dude holding his pecker. Okay, he's holding his pecker in his hand. It's very well rendered. Robert Crumb would render some massive cocks, okay? And this is a massive cock. And he says to the girl, come on, sis, pretend it's candy. And then, uh, you are such a sweet little girl. That's right. And, uh, you know, here's, here's the sicko part. I believe what I am reading you to you from is, uh, is, is a man, uh, is, 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 is guy, he's calling her sis. I, they don't look like brother and sister, but I think they are and they're having sex and it's weird and it's well rendered and it's really well drawn, but it's kind of gross. That's underground comics for you. Okay. This is, is, is a story about the underground Bible. Because, let me just skip ahead. We're going to talk about how R. Crumb drew every frame of the book of Genesis. And he did it spectacularly. But let me tell you something. Where you probably came to know R. Crumb, Robert Crumb, is from his keep on trucking. Okay? Keep on trucking. It's almost, um, you know, it, keep on trucking was his very famous depiction of... Uh, uh, the, 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 was kind of the embodiment of his most popular um, comic book uh, illustrations. His his most popular uh, the way he his 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 style. It, it just has all of it right in that in that drawing. Um, and 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 we will show it in our news and notes. Keep on trucking, okay? Keep on trucking by Robert Crumb, and uh, it was on every T-shirt. In 1976-77, had a guy kind of stepping back and then putting one big fo foot forward, and it is a one big. It was it was pulled this image that was on every T-shirt and every poster and on on uh, bumper stickers. People used to put bumper stickers on their back fenders. Um, Keep on trucking was a one-page comic book by Robert Crumb, and it was of course published by Zap Comics, a visual riff on the lyrics of the Blind Boy Fuller song "Trucking My Blues Away," but. Uh, the big imagery, the one that made it to everybody, it was a hippie slogan. And, and surprisingly enough, Crumb says he regrets coining it, um, which, is, which is ridiculous. But R. Crumb was the king of the underground comic. He drew sex. He drew dirty sex. He drew lots of penises. And, uh, and, and he was quite adept at, 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 at that. And, uh, and again, there's an entire section of this. Comics and comics give so much... Um, so much to the to the uh, you know to the underground movement movement rapping on the underground movement. It says despite despite Crumb's flaws, every would be underground cartoonist in the land wanted to copy his style, and it is a very imitated style. He was almost the Jack Kirby of the underground movement. And uh, look, he got criticized for um, being a uh, uh, you know. Uh, for being, you know, a pig and, and for exploiting, um, his well-rounded female characters. And, uh, and he was, you know, he was the subject of controversy, you know, just like everything. His, his, his light burns so bright that they turned on him. The guy that starts the movement ultimately gets, you know, slapped around because they said he was sexist. Um, they said that he was absolutely a sexist and he, uh, you know, and who knows what he would, um, be called today, but they they they, they said uh, he claimed to never be a hippie, and uh, you know uh, he, he just was having his freedom, and he clearly liked sex comics. So the underground Bible, what are we doing here? We are going to discover, not discover. I've had this for everyone, uh, you know, 13 years ago when this came out, I literally flipped out. I could not believe the Robert Crumb of underground, the underground movement would draw the book of Genesis, the book of Genesis, all 50 chapters. But there's a rub in here, and it's a great rub, and it's really, really important that you understand why this was so freaking amazing. Um, if you happen to get the updated version of the comics and comics, they've really expanded and included the late 80s, obviously, which didn't exist. It was in the 70s. But the, the Frank Miller, the Alan Moore, they've got image comics in here. It is, it is a decent, uh, it's not the greatest book, 
you know, on, on, on the subject matter, but it, it'll, it'll get you really far. It's, 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 um, it's hard is in the right place. It's got some good stuff, but this, uh, yeah, this underground, um, this comics and comics, I just want to wrap up this section by saying, uh, Robert Crumb, they call him the king of the underground comic, arguably the century's greatest satirist. And I'm going to tell you, Robert Crumb is a really great artist. He's a great artist. So it's announced that he is going to draw the entire book of Genesis exactly as it is worded in the Bible. From the creation from creation to the death of Joseph, here are all 50 chapters of the book of Genesis revealingly illustrated as never before. Envisioning the first book of the Bible like no one ever before, R. Crumb, the legendary illustrator, retells the story of Genesis in a profoundly honest and deeply moving, moving way. Originally thinking that he would do a takeoff of Adam and Eve, Crumb became so fascinated by the Bible's language, a text so great and so strange that it lends itself to readily graphic depictions that he decided in instead to do a literal interpretation assembled primarily from the translations of Robert Alter and the King James Version. New, now readers of every persuasion, crumb fans, comic book lovers, and believers can gain astonishing new insights from this harrowing, tragic, and even juicy stories. Crumb's book of Genesis reintroduces us to the bountiful tree-lined Garden of Eden, the massive Ark of Noah with beasts of every kind, the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah destroyed by brimstone and fire that rained from the heavens, and the Egypt of Pharaoh where Joseph's embalmed bodies is carried in a coffin in a scene as elegic as any in Genesis, using clues from the text and peeling away the theological and scholarly interpretations that have often obscured the Bible's most dramatic stories. Crumb fleshes out a parade of biblical originals. Nothing is left to the imagination. From the serpent in Eden, a humanoid, a humanoid reptile who appears like an alien out of a science fiction movie, to Jacob, a kind of depressed guy who doesn't strike you as physically courageous, to his brother Esau, a rough and kick-ass guy, to Abraham's wife, Sarah, far more fetching than most women in um, at 90, to God himself, a star, a standard Charlton Heston figure with long white hair and flowing beard. As Crumb writes in his introduction, the stories of this people, the Hebrews, were then something more than just stories. They were the foundation, the source in writing of religious and political power handed down by God himself. Crumb's book of Genesis, the culmination of five years of painstaking work, is a tapestry of mastery, master detail and storytelling that celebrates the astonishing diversity of one of our greatest artistic geniuses. I do not dispute any of this. This is 100% absolute genius. The illustrations alone are amazing. It came out in 2009. It was covered in the New York Times, the LA Times. The 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 um you know, media was all over this. Uh R Crumb is just at the peak of his artistic powers over the 5 years that he is drawing this in the early 2000s. And this is a magnificent, again, black and white, not color, but the art and the rendering and the depiction of Noah and Jacob. And here's the rub. He absolutely covers every part of the Bible. There are some really twisted passages. Again, we covered me. I was raised in the Bible. I was raised in the church. I was super churched and super Bibled. And I learned to look up to Samson and Gideon and David and Joshua and all of the judges pretty much were my were just my jam. Ten Commandments was a movie I never missed. I love the Bible. I love the Bible heroes. Really more of an Old Testament guy. I never really was, the New Testament wasn't as juicy to me. I get how exciting and, and uh, transformative a, a figure that Jesus Christ was. But I wanted swords and bows and super strength and I got all that in the Old Testament. But Genesis, all of these books are whack. I mean, they touch on it a little in the Russell Crowe Noah but um, a lot of sex, a lot of weird sex in the Bible. And of course, that's going to turn um, our crumb on. And, and, and here in, in, in Abraham, Abraham, on page, uh, we don't have page numbers? Okay. Well, chapter 16 of the Bible as illustrated by uh, our crumb. I'm just going to jump right in. Abraham's wife had borne him no children. And she had a handmaid, an Egyptian whose name was Hagar. Hagar, okay? So Sarah said to Abraham, look here, the Lord has kept me from bearing children. Pray, come to bed with my handmaiden. Perhaps my house, our household, shall be, be, shall be brought, built up through her. And Abraham heeded the words of Sarah. And Sarah, Abraham's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian handmaid, after Abraham had dwelt 10 years in the land of Canaan. And she gave her, Sarah, 
to Abram, her husband, as a wife, and he came to bed with Hagar, and she conceived. And I mean, the way he draws this is powerful, sometimes funny. Hagar's got her hands behind her head, big smile on her face. Abraham's on top of her. Again, uh, you know, uh, when then when Hagar conceives, you know, Sarah gets angry. It's 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 uh, it's this you know panel now. He's drawn Hagar. Uh, he's drawn Sarah. A little 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 old, but but now he's he's getting the deep circles around her eyes, and he's and he's and he's getting her teeth out a little more, and, and illustrating the teeth more. This R. Crumb. He goes to to Abraham. We look at her like you crazy lady, but really well well drawn. Great great wonderful drawings. Sarah says to Abraham, "The outrage uh, the outrage this outrage against me is because of you. I put myself I put I myself put you." in the lap of my handmaiden. And now that she sees she has conceived, I am diminished in her eyes. And then it's got this close-up of Sarah is even more crazy, like crazy eyes, thick black shading above and around her eyes, gr- crazy growl of the mouth. Let the j- Lord judge between you and me. And Abraham said to Sarah, look, your handmaid is in your hands. Do whatever you think is right to her. And Sarah harassed her and she fled Okay, so so this is the craziness that is going on uh, between Abraham and Sarah as depicted by Robert Crumb, R. Crumb, in this very underground approach to telling you each frame of the Bible, okay? Um, and he, uh, the, the illustrations are just, fascinating. But again, this turn of of showing how Sarah, who put Abraham on top of Hagar, then gets mad at, at Abraham and, and sends Hagar away. And you think, this is boring, life. Well, no, it's not. It's, it's, it's ridiculously compelling. I mean, these are hundreds-year-old people. Abraham is hundreds years of old. And, and, and Sarah is 90 when she's like, go be with my handmaid. And I can't. I'm barren. I'm barren. And of course, uh, you know, one of the Lord's messengers, uh, an angel, finds finds uh, finds the handmaiden Hagar and says, "Go back, you know, go back to Abram. I'm going to multiply the seed." And uh, you know, th- this is just one of the many crazy depictions uh, in the Bible. Abraham had a lot of issues, right? Adam and Eve had a lot of issues. I mean, here's the thing: uh, when Noah has to build the ark, and the way that our crumb depicts humanity becoming depraved. Uh, I mean, this is nasty. Chapter 6 shows just craziness. Now, in the Bible, I don't know if you're aware, there is is a race called the Nephilim. N-E-P-H-I-L-I-M. The Nephilim. And uh, they were were thought to be giants. It is because um, uh, uh, divine beings despite described as angels, you would see them as fallen angels, came down to the earthly tribes and raped these women. It says, um, divine beings saw that the daughters of man were comely uh, and they took themselves and pleased themselves however they saw. Okay? And you've got this celestial being with this kind of, uh, you know, uh, 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 tiara and he's taking this very large-breasted woman, this very large-breasted Robert Crumb woman as these other human Earthly men, they look all like Cro-Magnons as, as, as the divine, long-haired, um, divine being takes away. And, uh, and, and the offspring of these angels, the divine pe- people having sex with the earthly women, brought about a race of Nephilim. The divine beings had entered the daughters of men, bearing them children. Then, hence the Nephilim. This is, I'm reading from R. Crumb's the book of Genesis. They are the heroes of old, the men of renown. That is a subject that you can parse so many ways. And of course, he does a great illustration. Um, the Nephilim were seen as giants. You uh, scholars, uh, you know, researchers, I've read all sorts of opinions. Um, the Nephilim were seen as the offspring of the angels and uh, entering the daughters of men. And, and, and their offspring were these giants. Goliath of the Philistines and his, his uh, brothers all were giants. They were all sought to be Nephilim. 
And that would mean they were a product of an angelic and human conjoining. Um, the, on, on this continuing chapter 6 of Genesis, as illustrated by Robert Crumb, written and illustrated, adapted, and the Lord saw the wickedness of the human creature was great on earth, that every scheme of, the, of his heart devising was perpetually evil. Whoa! That is heavy! But in this panel, it's got these... Looks looks like these Viking Cro-Magnon men. They're, they're, they're ugly. They're they're hairy. They've got Viking helmets and they're they low brows and big noses and and they're stepping on men and women alike who have gas wounds after gas wounds and it shows them slapping women and beheading them. So God and and our crumb depicts a just an awesome, powerful image of God. I will wipe out the earth from the I will wipe out from the face of the earth the men that I have created. And then it says, and the earth was corrupt. And he went to Noah, who had three sons, but um, again, showing the disruption of a giant breasted naked woman about to be sacrificed before this uh this this craven idol. It says, God, then God comes to Noah in the field, the end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with outrage by them, and I am now about to destroy them with the earth builder. Bottom line, build your, build your ark. So it shows how Noah gathered all the animals, built all the ark in wonderful storytelling. Robert Crumb is a fantastic storyteller. The, remember, just, just, just 10 minutes ago, we're talking about the, 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 the king of underground, the, the originator of comics, sex comics, the underground king, keep on trucking, the underground icon, the underground Jack Kirby. So when Noah, if you've read in the Bible, and when you're a kid and all you've done is read the you know, kids' Bible, but then one day you go, I'm going to actually read the real Bible. And I myself have read through the King James Bible twice. I did it once uh, at the end of my 20s, and immediately the next year I did it again and read from page one to page, and I would take copious notes, filled liners of notebooks with my own notes of thoughts and reflections of what I was reading. It was really like I had never read the adult Bible, and I wanted, and, and, and what Robert Crumb is saying in his foreword, in his notes, in, in the stuff that they're talking about in the in the uh, in in the liner notes that I read to you, it is a inspired. Th- these are inspired words, and they're also very twisted and very weird, and they depict some very strange and graphic situations. Well, you as a kid, when you read about Noah, and then you uh, you get to the part where like, you know, um, Noah is drunk and having sex with his kids. You're like. Wait, hey, hey! They didn't teach me that in, 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 in Sunday school, okay? I just heard about the the, the 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 two of every animal, and 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 the dove going out and coming back with a leaf, and they're gonna find land, and the waters recede, and the earth earth will be continued. But ho ho ho! Right after the rainbow that God gives Noah, again we get great flaws, and this is straight from the King James Bible. And the sons of Noah who came out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Always laugh at those names, Shem, Hem, because I'm watching, you know, either the Three Stooges or, or, um, and, and, you know, Shem and Hem, they sound like, they sound like Three Stooges. Shem, Hem, and Japheth, and Ham was the father of Canaan. These three were the sons of Noah, and from these the whole earth spread out. Well, if you only got your mom, your mom and your sisters, yeah, how you doing that, right? So, and then your wives. And Noah, a man of the soil, was the first to plant a vineyard. And he drank of the wine and became drunk and exposed himself. So, of course, R. Crumb loves the nudity. So you got butt-ass naked Noah here drinking with a, with a cup of wine in his hands, barely leaning on like a support beam in the tent. And Ham, the father, the father of Canaan, saw his father's nakedness and ran to tell his two brothers outside. And Shem and Japheth took a cloak and put it over both their shoulders and walked backward and covered their father's nakedness. Their faces turned away so they did not see their father's nakedness. And Noah woke from his wine and he knew what his youngest son had done. And he said, Cursed be Canaan, the lowliest of the slaves, shall he be to his brothers." And then he said, and, and blessed to my sons who, who, uh, who took me away. But uh, th- there's a part of this where, like, you know, it implies that they're laying with each other. And, uh, and, and there's, some, there's, some, there's some weird stuff in, in the Bible, okay? There's, there's some really weird, weird, 
weird stuff. And, uh, and, and him getting naked and exposing himself is, is just, is just one part of it. And, uh, and again, Abraham having sex with all the maids and, um, and, and it doesn't get weird. It doesn't get creepier and weirder than, than Sodom and Gomorrah. Now here, here's the deal. I don't know if you've ever heard of John Huston. He is an epic, epic movie director. And he made a movie called the Bible when I was a kid. And I was ready for, for freaking 10 commandments level, like, uh, like, uh, like epic, you know, Cecil B. DeMille scale, but uh, the the John Huston's Bible movie. Now, John Huston, you you gotta understand this. He, uh, John Huston, uh, directed the African Queen. He directed the Maltese Falcon. Okay, this guy is a hell of an accomplished director. Okay, um, he he is. Uh, just an amazing, talented uh, director. I mean, again, th these movies that you've heard of, of with, with Humphrey Bogart, that's John Huston. Well, it, later in his life, he directed a movie called The Bible. Now, this was after, this on Sunday nights, twice a year, on CBS or, or ABC or NBC, they would play, you know, John, the, the Bible. Now, I didn't get my Ten Commandments fix, but it was interesting. And um, all-star cast, including John Huston himself playing Noah, Peter O'Toole, famous British actor, much more important to the previous generation. Some of you young, young guys don't know who he is. Peter O'Toole plays three angels simultaneously in the movie, and they just give him different hairstylings and hats. Sometimes he's standing all together, but it's cool. It's a really cool, just subtle effect. But there, the Sodom and Gomorrah portion of John Huston's The Bible is so disturbing because they're going in to see the wickedness that's going on. And there's one point as they turn down, it's, it's like eyes wide shut. It's like a Bible eyes wide shut. They come to this one temple room and it's like from a distance, it's like ants and insects climbing on top of each other. And if you stop and look, it's all these men and women and men and women and women and men and men and women humping each other. Naked, nakedness, but shot far away that it wouldn't completely get the X rating or the, you know, but the angel, it's a really extended silent scene that just the camera passes over this. So John Huston is very accomplished in the Bible film, brilliant director, uh, Spielberg, Lucas, these guys, Coppola, Scorsese, they will tell you what an accomplished director John Huston was. Well, I got to believe that R. Crumb was somewhat influenced by that when the angels come and tell him, look, we're going to take you to Sodom and Gomorrah. And they, you know, where they take Lot. And, uh, and and the angels come in and look, there's, these guys want to rape these angels. They think they're hot. They even imply that like, hey, come on inside. Let's get it on. They're all judging like, you know, they're, they're trying to evaluate how, how filthy and dirty um, Sodom and Gomorrah is. And, uh, and, 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 you know, when the angels are being escorted by Lot through Sodom and Gomorrah, you know, in Genesis chapter 19, they say, and this is right straight from the Bible, they shouted to Lot, Lot, and in reference to his angel buddies, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them to us so we may know them. That means so may, we may have sex with them, fornicate with them, have, you know, relations. And Lot said, please do not do my, do, do no harm, brothers. Um, I have two daughters who have known no man. Let me bring them out to you and you can do with them however you please. Only to these men do nothing. They are under my roof. And they say, step aside. Our crumb shows these dudes just in their full rage. And they've got all sorts of trinkets and jewelry and, you know, gallant um, um, hats and robes. This fellow came as a sojourner. Now he's setting himself up as the judge. We'll deal worse with you than with them. And uh, look, that the angels had seen enough. Sodom and Gomorrah was to be completely destroyed, and R. Crumb's depiction of Sodom and Gomorrah being destroyed is fantastic. Fireballs from the heavens are 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 there's they're going up one guy's butt in this shot I'm looking at right now. These people are all crawling on each other. There is a fireball up the crack of this guy's butt. Um, he's having fun with this. There's naked women running in each direction. These people are becoming charbroiled. They're becoming charcoal, crumbly people. And the annihilation of Sodom and Gomorrah, he pulls the camera back. He gives you the big, sweeping, epic show. And of course, Lot's wife could not resist looking back, which they were asked not to do. And she becomes a pillar of salt. But anyway, it was, uh, 
it's Lot. It's Lot that that's daughters lay with him and have sex with them. And uh, and boy, oh boy, does Robert Crumb enjoys depicting this. Uh, it is it is uh, fascinating. Our father is old, the women say, and there is no man to lay with us. Let's give our father wine. Let us lie with him. This is the creepy stuff in the Bible. This is the stuff where you're like, wow, this is X-rated. And they gave their father wine to drink. And the older one came and lay with their father. And he knew not when she lay down or when she arose. He smashed. Lot is smashed out of it. His city's been destroyed. The angel saved him. But he was too drunk to let his... Uh... So Noah's drunk and his sons have to cover him. And now Lot's daughters are having sex with him. And, and our crumb is depicting this in a very graphic very graphic fashion. And you, but that's X-rated. No, that's the Bible. That is absolutely, he is drawing exactly what is depicted. And on the next day, the younger daughter, behold, last night I lay with my father. Let us give him wine to drink again. And you, younger daughter, will lay with him so that we may keep our seat alive. And then, of course, there's the, the, the first drawing is Lot on top of his older daughter. Now, the older daughter, Robert Crumb, has her on top of him. He is drunk again. And he knew not when she lay down or when she rose. Scripture, directly from Scripture. And the two daughters, uh, and, and the two daughters of Lot conceived by their father. The older one bore a son called Moab. He is the father of the Moabites. And the younger one as well bore a son and called his name Ben-Ami. He is the father of the Ammonites. So, bottom line, our crumb takes you all the way through um, the book of Genesis, through Joseph, and it is a fascinating, beautifully illustrated. Again, these are comic books. The amount of detail, illustration, caricature, facial expressions um, by Robert Crumb is exceptional. From Adam and Eve through Noah to Sodom and Gomorrah to Abraham to Joseph, this is a brilliant, brilliantly drawn book. And because it was drawn by Robert Crumb, the king of the comics, the sex comics, the underground king, it got a lot of attention. And I think it was a perfectly um, suited, you know, example of material and creator. And Robert Crumb gave it everything he could. And uh, this is a truly beautiful tome. It is, um, it, it literally, he, in all his interviews promoting it, would share with everyone, I am literally just illustrating the Bible word for word as I see it and as I read it. He is storyboarding the entire Bible, not the glossy picture Bible drawn by um, the, 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 the gentleman who, who could draw, um, you know, a, a, as well as John Buscema, not that guy, not that guy. Cause that guy, um, is, is, is exceptional, but in a different world. He, he, he absolutely depicted, um, you know, the, uh, the, the, the picture Bible in the way that like Marvel was um, uh, depicting their comic book superheroes. And it, and it's great. Joshua looks like a badass warrior. Samson, same. Moses looks just noble and awesome and ragged and, and tested and courageous. Um, that is Andre LeBlanc. This is not Andre LeBlanc. You know, there's some weeds. There's some, there's some grit in the Bible, especially in Genesis. And I would have loved if R. Crumb illustrated the whole entire Bible, but it took him five years to do just one chapter. Um, all I mean, one book, all 50 chapters of the book of Genesis, and he did it spectacularly. But you have to know that it is a really interesting uh, blending of two worlds, the king of underground comics, uh, and, you know, comes in later in his life to draw this book of Genesis. And, and it is, um, it is really gritty and, and, uh, and, and detailed and, and the trademark rendering that made, um, that made Robert Crumb, uh, Crumb's work stand out so just amazing that made it, um, stand out in, 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 in the way that it did, because this book got a ton of attention. And, and again, if you took all the word balloons off and you stripped it down, it is literally just a beautiful, beautiful, um, comic. And again, th this is not a man. Crumb does not believe. He, he, he has claimed that he is Catholic, agnostic. Um, uh, uh, he is spiritual agnostic, not an atheist, but, but, but he, he was not proselytizing with this book. He literally took it as like an art, um, 
he literally took it as as an art project and i think he hit a huge home run this book was everywhere when it when i uh, when when it first you know emerged and at this point he was in his mid 60s early 60s when he produced this um, again, the underground comic scene had kind of come and went, but it, kids my generation keep on trucking. Robert Crumb, all his sex comics was, was a big deal. Again, I can thank my sister, Sherry Liefeld, who, who was doing her term paper for exposing the dirty, dirty pornographic comics to her brother, who was like, wow, Superman and Batman aren't doing this in their comics. Uh, years later, he would craft for you this book of Genesis, having been someone who was churched, who had seen the glossy comic book um, glamorized version of the Bible to then read as an adult the the gritty the in the weeds that really kind of the the um, the grime of the sin and the desperation and the uh, and and what, what are we gonna call this the uh, I mean I mean there, there's some creepy stuff in here well he took it on head on and in classic fashion and I think really I do I think it, some of the best artwork he's ever produced is in this book of Genesis. I mean, he draws kings and queens and kingdoms and angels and prophets. And uh, it's just, it's it, it's amazing. And I could not recommend it more. And this is what I have been wanting to discuss. The Bible goes underground and we did it. And I hope you give it a chance. I hope you can grab a copy. Look at it, go to your library. See, um, libraries have opened up all around post-pandemic. Um, I've seen this in a number of different libraries. Check it out if you don't want to buy it off Amazon or um, you know, you know, maybe like I have friends who don't want to talk Bible stuff at all. They'll maybe like, I don't want to talk about this, but you can see today we're not talking about the Bible as a method of, you know, proselytizing or, or, um, again, my dad, Baptist minister, my grandfather, Baptist minister raised in the church, know all about, um, the, 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 the sharing of faith and, and, uh, and, and leading people to the word of God. This, this, uh, is more taking the literature of the Bible, what Robert Crumb did, which is equally, as an artist, fascinating to me. Artistically, this 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 graphic novel, it's only come in this giant coffee table format. Um, it, it, as as an artist, I am just so deeply impressed by the renditions, the illustrations, and his approach. Just drawing the text before him, you would go, he would look at the text, see what he was about to draw, draw the details of that. If that means that the daughter is laying with her father. It, as Lot was with his daughters after they get him drunk? Yes. If it means Noah being naked, wandering around, exposing himself to the family? Yes. Crazy stuff. Literally. This is, um, it's worth checking out. Thank you for taking this ride with me today. You know what time it is. We have been bereft lately of any of these, um, of, 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 of your, 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 uh, your amazing, amazing, um, reflections and and your 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 amazing reviews. You guys continue to share your enthusiasm for this show. The comic book feud episodes did extremely well. You guys really enjoyed them. I am so thrilled that you enjoyed them in the manner that you did. Thank you so very much. There will be another section on comic book feuds again. I, I couldn't avoid the Liefeld McFarlane showdowns of almost 25 years ago because come on, I can't. I got I got to look at got to look in the mirror. Um, got to check the, the log in my own eye, right? So, uh, so, so that was great to share with you. We had some great, there will be more comic book feuds. Um, I mean, I could just tell you guys some funny stuff. I've gotten a lot of response to the comic book feuds. I want to say this and I'll repeat this again in another episode. I have been mocked in my, in my business. You know, I, I read, uh, LeBron James has been mocked. Tom Brady has been mocked. Kobe was mocked. Um, actors are mocked. Uh, politicians are mocked. You gotta have thick skin to be out in the public, be in the arts, and I think I do. And I think maybe some of you guys out there in regards to these feuds should learn to laugh at yourself because I've learned to laugh at myself. I think if Rob Liefeld can have a sense of humor, so can you. That's my little, you can have a sense of humor about yourself too and not maybe take it all so seriously. Some things that happen, happen. If I'm reading an interview with your own words, those are your own words. Uh, you guys, thank you for sharing all these amazing reviews and positive word of mouth. I'm going to read a couple of them to you to catch up. This is from Christoph enthusiasm in the age of COVID. He gave us five stars. Some things come at the exact right time. And for me, this podcast is one of them. Moving and starting a new job meant a lot of stress, but this podcast was the perfect find to alleviate it. Funny, informative, profoundly positive. 
Thanks, Rob, for doing this work. It's more helpful than you would ever realize. Thank you, Christoph. I am so thankful that you shared this with me. Thank you so much, Christoph. It means the world to me. Um, the uh, this is a is a is a very um, a, a, a very a very uh, generous very generous review um, that that I am I am uh, very very humbled to to read and. Uh, you guys, again, these reviews mean everything. Again, in between season one and season two, people said, "Look, uh, you know, you should share your reviews. You should you should talk about all the the stuff that people are are saying and sharing." And uh, this is from uh, twenty two Lewis thirty three twenty two Lewis thirty three. A must listen. He gave us five stars. Rob's podcast is a must for all comic book fans. It covers a wide spectrum of topics in great detail, whilst keeping it fun from a man whose memory is as sharp as a pin. Most importantly, his love, passion, enthusiasm is pouring out. It feels like you are Saturday next to Rob Liefeld. Um, it feels like you are sitting next to the seven-year-old boy who picked up his first comic book. Thank you, 22 Lewis. Um, Skip Edwards. Skip Edwards says, The next great comic book ambassador. I appreciate this so much, Skip. Rob's retelling of Image and Bronze Era stories puts us right there in the comics industry. Conventions, after parties, feuds, and real camaraderie between artists. Inside baseball, no one else can give a first-hand version of Keep Up the Great Work, Rob. Thank you, Skip Edwards. Thank you all for listening to the show. I am all over social media. Thank you for your positive reviews, your word of mouth, sharing, um, promoting this all over social media, this podcast. I appreciate it so much. I'm on social media at Twitter. I am at Robert Liefeld on uh, that's R-O-B-E-R-T-L-I-E-F-E-L-D. I have a blue check. That's really me you're talking to. On Instagram, I am at Rob Liefeld. R-O-B-L-I-E-F-E-L-D. Much shorter, Rob Liefeld. Blue check, that's really me. I'm all over Facebook. I'm all over social media. I love talking to you guys, hanging out with you guys, sharing concepts, ideas, stories. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to this show. It is a great pleasure to bring it to you every week and to share. Today, we went underground with the Bible. The Bible goes underground. R. Crumb, Robert Crumb, amazing, amazing works of art, amazing artist, amazing detail rendering. Uh, I, I hope you get a chance to check it out. You guys, take care of yourselves. Stay safe. And we will talk again real soon. 